The sermon preached at St. John's Evangelical Lutheran Church of Hancock, Minnesota, member of the Wells, on November 20th, 2011, based on Matthew chapter 27, verses 27 to 31. Please stand. Grace and peace to you from God, our Father, and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. The word of God through which the Holy Spirit brings us to our Savior is Matthew chapter 27, the gospel for today. And as you listen to it again, picture yourself there. Jesus has spent a long night on trial before the Sanhedrin. He's been condemned. This is now early Friday morning, and he has been uh, before Pontius Pilate, the governor. And then we see these events. Then the governor's soldiers took Jesus into the praetorium and gathered the whole company of soldiers around him. They stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him and then twisted together a crown of thorns and set it on his head. They put a staff in his right hand and knelt in front of him and mocked him. Hail, King of the Jews, they said. They spit on him and took the staff and struck him on the head again and again. After they had mocked him, they took off the robe and put his own clothes on him. Then they led him away to crucify him. This is the word of our Lord. Please be seated. Your friends in Christ... Fellow saints washed clean in the blood of our risen Savior. What royal events have you seen? Maybe last April you saw footage of His Royal Highness Prince William of Wales' marriage to Miss Catherine Middleston. Or maybe you can think back to 1981 when His Royal Highness the Prince Charles, Prince of Wales, was married to Lady Diana Spencer. Some of you maybe can even recall the coronation of Queen Elizabeth back in 1953. What grandness we see at these royal events. What pomp and splendor. How magnificent and glorious it can all look. And that's what we expect from kings and queens and their heirs. But how different, how different that scene you heard described in the gospel today. How different our king. Yes, dear friends, behold your king, not in glory and splendor, but in pain and humiliation. Behold your king. And and what can we say? What can we say at such a sight of horror that stands before us? What can we say? Let's think about that as the Holy Spirit shows us our King who so drastically changes our hearts and lives. What can we say as we behold our King? The hymn writer, Thomas Kelly, who who wrote the hymn we just sang, also wrote a Lenten hymn in which he writes, If you think of sin but lightly, nor suppose its evil great. Here you view its nature rightly, here its guilt may estimate. And we live in an age, don't we, that thinks of sin but lightly? Just look at the world around us, even look at other churches. How many of them today boast, in fact, of their toleration and acceptance of things that used to be called sin? And yet, Notice how that's a back door that tempts us 
to make light of our own sin. It's easy for us to look at others and say, oh, look at what they tolerate. Oh, no, I I may not be perfect, but at least I don't tolerate that filth that they accept. As if their sins are so much more damnable than ours. If you think of sin but lightly, that is, if you think that your sin is light compared to others, behold your king, See him stricken, smitten, and afflicted. That's what your sin did to him. And maybe one way that this is driven home to our hard hearts is when we realize that we break exactly the same commandments as the so-called bad sinners out there. Now, if we're breaking the same commandment, don't we deserve the same punishment, the same death sentence in God's courtroom? For example, we all recognize that murder, cold-blooded murder is evil and wrong, breaks the fifth commandment. But that hateful word muttered under your breath or shouted out from your mouth breaks the same commandment. We all recognize the wickedness of incest. It breaks the sixth commandment. But that lust, whether from computer images or a movie scene, breaks the same commandment. And none of us would build an altar in our backyard to sacrifice to the sun god. And yet how many of us worry? Worry breaks the same commandment. For when the Lord said, you shall have no other gods, he wasn't just talking about altars of stone, he was especially talking about the altar of our hearts. And what is it that we so much fear, love, or trust more than God that we have to worry about that thing? Yes, if you think of sin but lightly, take a look at your own heart and we see how Each of us has enough sin of our own. And all that was laid on Jesus. As we behold our king stricken, smitten, and afflicted, yes, it is your sin and mine that brought that on him. How guilty, how guilty we are. Behold your king and say, how grave my sin is. Yes, our old sinful self fights against this. It wants to cling to vestiges of self-worth or self-esteem. But then look at your king. That's what he suffered because of your sin and my sin. How grave my sin. Now, right before the scene in Matthew 27... We are told that Jesus had been scourged. His back had been torn open by the metal fragments and bone pieces that were in the leather straps of the whip. Those bloody stripes mark your sins and mine. As he stands there stripped, we are reminded that our sins leave us naked and exposed before the holy God. And as we witness what he goes through, as we see the soldiers taking that old, ragged, 
cloak and throwing it over his open wounds. Imagine the pain of that. We know that our righteous acts, our good deeds that are done apart from the Holy Spirit, that our good deeds by themselves are only filthy rags meriting the stinging pains of hell. How grave my sin. Behold your king and confess with me in the words of another Lenten hymn, Ah, I also and my sin wrought your deep affliction. This indeed the cause has been of your crucifixion. Behold your king and say, How grave my sin. But dear fellow sinners, because your sin is there, laid on Jesus, there also is your ransom, the payment that atones for your sin. Here, here laid on Jesus is your sin, and so here is the ransom that sets you free from the law's curse and death sentence. Here is your ransom paid for you by the, by, by the Son of God himself, Jesus Christ. Here is your ransom measured in the drops of his holy, precious blood. Behold your king and see the ransom that's been paid for you. Our old self clings to that idea of self-worth that makes light of our sin and, and tries to claim that we have at least something we can offer, some amount we can contribute. But all the self-worth in the world cannot measure one drop of the ransom that Jesus paid for you, dear friends. Because if you add up all the nothings, you still have nothing. But here, in our suffering King, see the price God paid for you. See the worth that He placed on you. Oh, not because of any intrinsic value in you or me. We were worthless. But because of his good will. Either we cling to those self-imagined values of self-worth or else we cling to the ransom Jesus paid for us. Which one will it be? Which one is of greater value and worth? Which alone can save you? Behold your king and say, how grand, yes, how grand the ransom is that he paid for me. Likewise, our old self clings to those notions of self-esteem as well. You've got to love yourself, they say. But here again, behold your king for in the bloody, humiliated Christ, you see God's great love for you. How can all the self-worth in the world or the self-esteem in the world measure up to that wondrous love? He gave his son, his only son, his, the only begotten from eternity. He gave him as your ransom, dear friend, your ransom. How great, how wondrous, how magnificent and grand his love 
so that when you behold your king, even in his suffering, especially in his suffering, you can exclaim with all awe and wonderment how grand am my ransom that God has paid for me. Behold your king, crowned with thorns there. That, that's what we heard described in the text. And why was he so crowned? So that you and I may wear the crown of eternal life. For you see, dear friends, he took our place. That's what it means that he was our ransom. He took our place. He substituted himself and wore that crown of thorns to bring you the crown of life. He stands there as the voices of the soldiers taunt and mock and humiliate and ridicule him. And why? So that your voices, dear friends, may praise the Lamb upon the throne forever and ever, so that your voices may join the angels and the saints from every people, nation, tribe, and language, from every time and age before the heavenly throne. And he stands there with that mock scepter in his hand, you know, the scepter that's supposed to symbolize the king's power, and they take that scepter and beat him on the head with it. And why does he let that happen? So that you, dear friend, may reign with him in glory. Yes, reign with him for real. For he is the king of kings and the Lord of lords and we, his people, will reign with him. Behold your suffering king and say how grand the ransom he paid for me. And that's, dear friends, is why we not only cherish the empty cross, but also the crucifix that shows our Savior in his suffering. For as we witness the greatness of his suffering, we see the grandness of the price he paid for you and me, the grandness of the ransom. As another Lenten hymn says, See from his head, his hands, his feet, sorrow and love flow mingled down, did e'er such love and sorrow meet? Or thorns compose so rich a crown? Behold your king and say, How grand am I ransom, the ransom he paid for me. And finally, dear friends, this faith that marvels at our suffering king gladly takes up our cross and follows him for faith knows that even the heaviest of crosses flows, flows from the love that God has shown to you and to me. So no matter what hardships or ridicule mocks you for following Jesus, no matter what doubts tempt you to question God's goodness, yes, no matter what the cross, your Father's love is drawing you closer to the Son training you as his own dear child. Behold your king, and as we each behold our king, we can say, how gracious my cross. Rather than complaining, faith rejoices in our crosses. Rather than questioning God's love, faith sees in the cross the evidence of God's love. Yes, the crosses that we carry, faith sees as the evidence of God's love for us. For he is at work training us. The scriptures promise that. 
For example, Hebrews 12 says, My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when he rebukes you because the Lord disciplines those he loves and he punishes everyone he accepts as a son. How gracious are crosses. And now as we see the text closing here, we note how it ends with those words, Then they led him away, to crucify him. As horrible as the torture is that we have seen here today, you know well, dear friends, that it is just the beginning as he goes to that most gruesome of crosses. But think about that, dear Christian. If our king went to that cross, that most gruesome of all crosses, because it is made up of our sin and shame and all the sin and shame of the world. Won't we, his faithful followers, also take up our cross and follow him? Knowing what a gracious gift from God even the crosses that we carry are. And as heavy as your cross may feel at times, it cannot compare to the glory that your king has won for you. As heavy as our crosses can be, they, the glory that awaits you is far, far greater. And again, just look at Jesus' cross, the darkest and most gruesome cross at all, for he was forsaken by God because of our sins on it. And what happened on the third day? The greatest victory of all, the Easter victory. He defeated the devil, that ancient serpent that had led the whole world astray parading down the streets of hell himself as the conquering king. And he conquered death as well, rising from the dead on that third day. And he gives you that victory, dear friends. He gives it to you freely, by grace, gratis, at no charge. Believe his promise. For by faith, you and I can say with the Apostle Paul in Romans 8, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Yes, dear friends, behold your king and say, how gracious my cross, since it leads to such great glory. Earthly royals have their pomp and circumstance. We, dear Christians, have our suffering king. But what glory awaits you because your king suffered in your place. Behold your king and say, how grave my sin, yet how grand my ransom that he paid for me and how gracious the cross he gives me to carry. Behold your King. Amen. Please stand. The peace of God that surpasses all understanding will keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.